0: Hello and welcome to the Victory Bank Business Series podcast. This podcast will be a series of seminars recorded at the Victory Bank in Limerick, PA. The Business Series podcast brings members of the community to learn and grow together, featuring topics to boost your personal and business performance. Our speakers are subject matter experts, bringing you knowledgeable advice in a clear, concise manner. The first part of this podcast will be the presentation from our guest speaker, then Followed by a Q and A from our community audience. Thank you again for listening, and now on to our episode.
1: Uh, Bill, thanks for having us. Um, a quick introduction. My name again is uh, Nick Gallagher. I'm a CFP and a life and insurance and investment uh, consultant. This is Jim Frank. Jim is our in-house attorney and presenter, presenter, I should say, extraordinaire. Um, nice to be with you. I've known the Victory Bank for probably 10 years. Um, when we work with Victory and Victory customers, we're usually brought in to facilitate life insurance for uh, collateral purposes, right? So certain commercial loans will generally require a key person life insurance collaterally assigned back to the bank. And this is needed before closing, so we specialize in this very unique type of collateral. And I'll often get a call from Rich Graver Hey, Ned, I got a customer who needs a life insurance policy. We're looking to close in the next two weeks. Can you, can you help out? Um, so that's how I know Victory. Um, pan out a little bit. Our company as a whole is a full-service insurance and investment firm. Uh, our clients are individuals, families, and, and closely-held businesses. Um, so today we're presenting some, some ideas. This isn't a sales pitch, although we'd, we'd like to be working with everyone. Uh, this is an idea pitch, and it really centers around some uh, interesting uh, ideas to protect businesses and their uh, business owner and the, and the organization. So, Jim is going to be doing the bulk of the presentation. So, I'm going to hand it over to Jim. But any any questions right out of the out of the gate here?
0: I think we're good. We'll turn it right over to Jim. Yeah. All right, Sounds thanks, good. then.
2: Appreciate it. Nick Nick Thank you, everybody. everybody. As well. uh, good morning again, everybody. It's a pleasure to spend some time this morning. And, uh, you know, I spend a lot of my time working with uh, family and closely held businesses, some small entrepreneur, others, you know, full scale, you know, several hundred employees. And we find that oftentimes we'll talk to clients about risks they face and they understand us. It's in English, it's logical, but it just often doesn't translate into action and uh, over time we sort of developed a different approach. And it's a series of six vignettes.
3: Ellen, so good to
2: see you. That deal with crisis business issues. Please have a seat. So,
4: how are the kids?
5: They're doing well,
4: considering. Listen, I don't want you to think I'm trying to be difficult. Oh, Ellen, I know that. Unfortunately, Jack didn't leave me a whole lot. Sure. What I do have are three kids and a mortgage. And when I found out what I was getting from the buy-sell agreement, I just... I know. Look, there's no other way to say this. It's just unfair. I know the business is worth more than that. Ellen, that agreement was drawn up almost 10 years ago. So? Well, the truth is, Jack and I just never got around to updating it. Believe it or not, that's what happened. So what are you saying? I'm saying that if there was more I would give it to you. I would. But the only way for me to raise more cash would be to sell the business and if I do that then I'd lose everything I've worked for. Look I don't know anything about that. What I do know is that this business is worth more than what I'm getting in the buy-sell agreement. Listen I'm not trying to make trouble and I'm not saying that I don't believe you. Good, because what I'm telling you. I just here. think it would be a good idea if I spoke to an attorney. I just want what I'm entitled to.
2: <laughs> okay, so uh, if we had a soundtrack, you'd be hearing all the low bass notes right now, right? You know, it'd be sort of a fade to black. And as I said initially, you know, it's one thing for us to sit down and talk about are you protecting the value of the business for your family? And then, and then it's another thing to sort of watch some actors interplay very you know, that very subject. So it ends with, uh, so what do we know? We know there was a buy-sell agreement, all right. and businesses that have more than one owner should have that, and then it becomes the next question of dealing with what are going to be the triggering events in a buy-sell type agreement. And obviously death usually comes to mind because we're all going to face it at some point. Right? And it's pretty definitive. So here we have a situation where we have some business partners, probably been together a long time, and when I watch this video, there's sort of three characters, right? You know, there's the two, you know, the surviving spouse and the former business partner, and then I think his name's Jack, right? The dead guy. And I always think to myself, well, if I had to pick, you know, which one of those characters I'd like to be, I think I want to be the dead guy, right? (laughs) Because he didn't mean or intend to put his family in this situation, but I have a question for you, uh, it's a buy-sell agreement, arm, arm's length negotiated, do you think it's an enforceable legal agreement? What's the lawyer going to tell her when she comes?
6: Yes sir, I would think so.
2: Yeah, it's enforceable, you know, you're allowed to make a bad deal, right? Now we all know though that, and maybe it's unfortunate, but many lawsuits are really filed not to win, but to settle. And that's probably the type of dialogue she's going to have with her attorney, you know, which is, well, if we go to the mat, this is sort of enforceable, but there's an aggravation factor. And so then we back up to, well, there's a consistent theme you'll pick up here. These are sort of big problems that had simple solutions that weren't implemented, right? And then that, that you'll see is a, a, a consistent theme. So we have a buy-sell agreement, it has a fixed purchase price, which is kind of unusual because business values change and depending on the nature of the business you might value it differently now here it appears to be a professional maybe architectural type firm um, some businesses lend themselves to a formula so rather than having a fixed price it's a formula some multiple of revenues or sales something like that that's always going to be a price that stays fresh then Some businesses aren't as easily valued, because we're kind of not sure, and many entrepreneurial businesses, they are worth a lot more to own than they are to sell. In fact, that's a challenge that most of those types of businesses face. Um, You're deriving a good income from it, and you're operating it, you're the key person, you're making it, you're, you're the rainmaker, but someone coming in behind you to purchase that, is generally not going to give you a large enough lump sum that lets you go down to Victory Bank and buy a bunch of CDs and clip your coupons and make the same income. So we always tell business owners, uh, when they're looking at protecting the value of it, right? your business has two values. The, and the more important value is, what's the value to your family? Look at that one first. And when we work with clients, we're often, you know, not looking at the business yet, we just want to know if something happens to you and those that are financially dependent on you, how is their lifestyle impacted? Forget for a minute there's a business here. Just, what are your assets? What kind of life insurance do you have? Et cetera, et cetera. Because that's the real number you want to protect. Then you step back and say, all right, of all your assets, here's this operating business. You know, what value might that have? And then that value is often different than the value that you want to protect for your family, because typically that business is generating income to you, and it could do that for 30 or 40 years. So it's really the present value of that number that you know, we're more focused on. Now, of course, you know, your other advisors, the attorneys, the accountants, the business valuation people, you know, they'll come to the equation and help you put together the components of what's the business value. But this is a situation where you've got a valid buy-sell agreement, is there funding for it? In other words, once you have a number, where is it going to come from? I'm not sure I want my spouse to be the largest unsecured general creditor of my formerly owned business. (laughs) Nothing against my surviving partner. Uh, So managing that risk is part of the discussion of providing funding for a buy-sell. Where is it going to come from? Typically, it'll be a life insurance for some amount, to the extent the purchase price might exceed that life insurance, then that, call it a shortfall, that'll be an installment sale at some interest rate over some period of time. And then depending upon how you know, any individual's family's assets are mapped out, you get a sense of how diversified is the family wealth from the business. And that's also a consistent theme with business owners. You know, their, their wealth tends to be concentrated in the business. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, So it all make sense. It's kind of one of those, not a surprising scenario, but a little
0: bit of effort makes a big difference. Yes? Jim, how often do you recommend businesses revisit that, if that's type of arrangement? Great question. They had had said this was a Mm 10-year, and they said they hadn't looked at it in 10 years. That's right.
2: Um, Well, if you have a formula valuation, it sort of revisits itself. If you have a static valuation, which they did here, uh, typically, in attorneys, if there is a fixed value, they'll say, here's the fixed value we agree upon, every year we're going to meet as a board and refresh that number. And if we fail to do that, any number that's more than 18 months old, if there's a triggering event such as death, then we'll go to an appraisal process. Um, And that's not the ideal way to do it. Uh, What we tell, you know, typically clients, even if they have a formula, because that might change too, is at least every two years you want to have that be a dedicated, you know, board of directors conversation or whatever your kind of senior management. And sometimes that's just you, you know, where you're going to, you know, reevaluate what's that number. So, you know, two years is probably uh, a reasonable way to get at it. But business owners, they get busy running their business mm-hmm. and they procrastinate. They typically take their issues, their family you know, perspective and say, like, well, I'll get to that next because I'm taking care of day-to-day, I've got employees, I've got suppliers, you know, you know, all my relationships. And by the end of the day, I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns into next month, which turns into next year, which turns into never and then you end up, you know, a little bit exposed. And so often that's our role, is to sort of hit the pause button. And in you know, much the way, a, you know, like a personal athletic trainer. I mean, we're all capable of doing calisthenics and riding the bike. I don't really I know how to do that, but if there's a personal trainer involved, you're gonna do it. Mm-hmm. More so than if you're on your own. So it's that human, you know, that, that human nature that we deal with. Thank you. Uh, so we talked about Proper funding. There a lot. And then this is one little handout I have, and um, this is a way for you to answer some questions and, and assess your risk as it relates to your business on this topic. In other words, I know what my business is worth, and the way um, you go through it is, you'd read the question. Have I ever had my business value appraised by an outside resource? If I say no, then I write the number 4 in there. Right? Uh, do I have a formal buy-sell agreement? If I say no, I write the number 5 there. And so this is a way for you to quantify how prepared you are in your existing planning uh, for the types of business risks that we're talking about. Right? And uh, once we get through each of these vignettes you're able to give yourself a total score and with that total score uh, it sort of ranks just how well you've planned and then I will tell you that this brochure is yours to keep so you're not giving it back to me so if you're lying you're lying to yourself right no one's gonna look at your answers except you and then at the very end I'll pass out uh, sort of a I guess they call it evaluation but on the bottom of it it has these little colored stickers and you pull off the sticker that matches your score and it ranges from I'm at low risk to that I'm at a severe risk. And then you have that little sticker staring you in the face and when you throw this in your to-do pile that you're never gonna look at, and occasionally you'll have this little reminder that uh, you know I have you know, significant risk uh, in, my, uh, in protecting the value of my business. So we'll revisit this risk barometer between or after each little segment and talk about some of those issues, okay? So we looked at number one, which was easy.
4: Thank you for coming in. I know it's soon after the funeral. You sounded worried over the
3: phone, Gene. What's wrong?
4: Sit down, Carol, please. Steve, Michelle. Look, I'm not going to kid around. We've got problems.
5: What kind of problems?
4: Well, for starters, who's going to run the company? Larry never formalized who would take over if something happened to him. That's something we need to deal with now. That's easy. Dad always told me I'd run the company, if anything
1: happened to him.
5: Oh, please. He never said anything to me.
1: Just when I said. He said it to me.
5: Look, I'm not going to just listen to what you said. I've been Wait didn't come here to watch you fight. Gene, what about Tom? Tom? Larry thought the world of him. He's head of sales and he knows the company. Mom,
2: I'm his
4: son. Who knows the company better than I do? Uh, Stephen. Hey, time out. Listen to me. We may not even have a business to argue about. Larry's will devised the worth of the business in half. We've done the initial calculations. And you two have to pay a tax liability of almost $5 million. What? That can't be right.
5: What are we going to do? We'll
4: get a loan. Don't count on it. We're talking about a lot of money and for a company that just lost its primary asset, your father. The way I see it, you're going to have a problem with any bank, including the one you're dealing with now.
3: Oh, great.
4: Even if you can get loan, think about the debt service. The value of your company may drop once you incur this debt.
3: Mom, what about Dad's life insurance?
4: That policy pays $2 million to your mother, but it's not near enough.
5: How can this happen?
4: It happens. Carol, you know how long I've been after Larry to meet with me and his financial planner. Look, we all know he didn't mean to leave things this way. But there was always another fire to put out, always another deadline. He just didn't get around to it.
2: <clears throat> okay. Well, I like how the sibling dynamics haven't changed in thirty-five years. <laughs> you know, you can picture the two of them bickering in the back seat, riding down to the Jersey Shore. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> He's looking at me. Right. She's blinking too loudly. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but this is not that uncommon. And it's what I said earlier, you know, you know the, the type of personality that operates businesses successfully has a tendency to compartmentalize things, and they do what I call episodic planning. They do a little bit of planning, kind of do it in a vacuum, then they're done for a while. And then maybe something changes, and then they come back and they do something else. Because what kind of planning has gone on here a little bit? Right, bought some life insurance, right? That's great. Uh, and who did he leave the business to? The two kids, right? Because we know there's a tax liability. Whatever you leave a surviving spouse, there is no tax. It's when you leave it to non-spouses that the estate taxes uh, show up. All right. Now, Pennsylvania has an inheritance tax. It's pretty manageable. 4.5% on what you leave children and grandchildren, right? Uh, and Pennsylvania will also accept the value of family-held businesses or closely-held businesses if, it, if it's a certain percentage of the value of the estate. The federal government, on the other hand, you know, once you're subject to the federal estate tax, and I don't have a speech problem, it's E-S-T-A-T-E, and, you know, that rate's 40%. And so, you know, very, very valuable businesses have to navigate through that. So we know there's, he left the business to the kids because there's a tax due. right? Now I get the sense though that one of the kids is in the business and, and the daughter's not, right? So why do you suppose dad left the business equally to his kids? This is not a trick question, think he loves them the same? Favoritism. Favorite? He left it to both of them.
6: Right, but so to avoid favoritism. To avoid, right,
2: exactly. And that's an issue that we'll often get into, the difference between equal and equitable. Right? And I will tell business owners, if you don't like your kids, then you leave the non-involved children an interest in the business. Because that will ensure that your family blows apart. Because right? <laughs> what's going to happen? You know, The son, he's going to want to reinvest in the business. And his sister is going to be on the board wondering why... You know she's driving a three-year-old Lexus and the company should you know maybe get her a you know a nicer car sooner so it does set up a dynamic and then what did he also do with the life insurance why why did he leave two million of life insurance to his wife not a trick question it's take the same answer her. as the first one take care of her take care of her he loves her right and so that's why I say it's episodic planning but it's a little bit it's, it's good stuff but it's organized incorrectly Because what you would have done is you would have had the life insurance go to the kid in the business. The stock go to mom. Now there's no tax because mom inherited the business. Now we all know mom's not going to run the business. So what's the son going to do with the life insurance he has? He gets it income tax free. So he's going to get the life insurance and buy the business from his mother. And when his mother sells the business, there's no capital gain tax because of this thing we call step-up in basis. If you inherit property, the value of the property when you inherit is the tax basis going forward. So mom inherits the business worth X, so that's her cost, and she sells it for X to her son. So now I've accomplished what I want. I got cash to mom because she needs it to live on, but I just did it in a smarter way. And that's what I mean about compartmentalizing. You know, many business owners will, okay, I got my insurance guy, so I'll tell him what I need. And my attorney, you know, wrote this for me. My accountant knows this. And there's no one person or one organization trying to piece it together and how it, you know, relates to everything. And so that's the typical scenario. And then there was one other person. Remember when mom says, what about Tom? Who was Tom? Key employee. Key employee. Head of sales. Guess what drives revenue, Right. Does Tom know he's a key employee? That'd be the first thing I'd ask. In other words, what did the business owner do for Tom different from what he did for everybody else? I'm sure there's a qualified retirement plan, like a 401k or something. So Tom gets that. You know, Tom probably has different comp and maybe a bonus. But what do you think Tom's doing? You know, Tom's worked for dad for years, right? So he watched those two kids grow up, right? So you know what I think Tom's doing? He's updating his LinkedIn page (laughs) because his new boss, right, are the kids who don't get along. You know, what's that making me think about, you know, the future here? So part of the succession planning here should have included a discussion about, hey, what are you doing extra for key people, right? I'm obviously you can pay them more, but are there any handcuffs? some deferred compensation, you know, maybe some equity interests in the business. Tom possibly could have been a potential, you know, owner of the business or a co-owner, would be a way to tie him in. So, this was a great opportunity to put together a terrific solution that didn't happen. It it just got pieced together. You know, so now you've got your management crisis. Um, oops. Give it to me. There we go. Maybe you gotta sell the business, right? Make everybody happy. Is there an outside investor that could kind of come in? Remember, you know, I'm in a bank. Key guy just dies, and the kids come in and say, "We want to borrow more money." I don't really know many loan committees that are gonna go great, you know, because that's not their job, right? They're protecting, you know, they gotta, you know, they gotta do the right thing for the bank as well. So you know, you end up, you know. With a succession plan that's not really communicated to anybody, um, there was never <coughs> any analysis done of the transfer taxes that might have to be paid. Uh, and so, you have episodic planning, but you have an out of control outcome because there's a lot of uncertainty here. Your key person's probably <coughs> looking to leave. Sorry, guys. Uh, and where's the continuity of management going to come from? Because now you have a you know, a non-operating child in the business. Now, this could be a business that I want my kids, even the ones not in it, to own stock in it, but then maybe I'd have a non-voting class of stock for that. You know, we have a client that you know, has a primary business, uh, but the real value of the business is in the real estate it owns. And so the kids that aren't operating the business, right? You know, their parents and the generations above them don't want to cut them out because eventually this business is going to cash in on real estate and you don't need to be operating the business to want to participate in that. And so they have two classes of stock and if you're in the business you have a vote. So there's easy ways to deal with that that just didn't get applied in this circumstance. All right. And So we get back to our risk parameter, same idea where you'd be evaluating how prepared you are, right? Do I have a will? Is it up to date? Do I have a living will? And you know living will is basically your medical directives and powers of attorney things like that uh, do I have a plan to retain key employees are my assets protected from potential litigation and you know do I have a written plan have you know, I worked with my advisors to do it so again the process would be go through this kind of score where you are uh, and then that puts you in a position to see uh, you know, how well prepared or how much work you need to get done uh, before you know, we end up watching you know, a video where you're the star and you're not in it, all right? So we've had, uh, you know, two vignettes we've gone through, and so far they've been easy because someone died. I'm a little hard on the guy who dies, but predictable. It's a risk I can plan for. Most business owners at least think about that. So now we shift the gears and, you know, see what's next. Hey, Tom.
0: Hey, Thomas. Sorry I'm late. That's okay.
3: I don't think any of us are in hurry to deal with this.
5: No, we have to address it, Art. I know. So, how do you see it, Tom?
0: Well, things could be a lot better. Ever since Paul's been laid up, we've been going downhill. Sales are off, and they're getting worse.
5: And it's killing the value of the company.
0: Is there any one reason for all this? Actually, I could give you three or four, but it all comes down to Paul. He's the owner. He is the one who opened all the key accounts. Paul's the person who makes all this work. Great.
5: It's no picnic for him, Art. I know most of his cash is tied up in the business. And now that sales are slipping, there's not even enough to take care of him and Janice.
1: And the two kids. Yeah.
5: What little we have to give them, in reality, is running us underfunded.
0: There has to be something we can do. Leslie, you've been pretty quiet. What do you think?
3: Honestly?
5: Based on the way things are going, or I should say not going, I've started to look around. I'm sorry, but I don't see a way out here.
0: We don't even know who's next in line to run this place.
2: Do we? Okay. So, still merriment here, you know. I killed you a couple of times, now I'm disabling you. Right? Eventually this will be a fun presentation for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> when it's over, everybody will be depressed. <laughs>
0: um, it's a reality, though.
2: But it's the reality of it, okay. And, um, you know, what kind of jumps off the page here is, uh, you know, before age sixty-five, you're like four or five times more likely to have a disability, you know, for an extended period of time than you are likely to, to die. And most business owners will think about death because, you know, I've got family, in, you know, income needs, or I got support needs that I care about, so I'll, you know, I'll think, of, you know, I'll deal with it. Disability, everybody just sort of assumes that's not going to happen to them, right? And we're back to that buy sell agreement triggering event, certainly is death, might disability be a triggering event. Now, here we have a situation where this senior staff is sitting around saying, gee, I don't know what, you know, who's in charge? And then you have, I think it's Leslie, who's really honest, who, you know, said, hey, I'm updating my LinkedIn page, because she's looking at, you know, what's going to come next. How do we work through this? So I know that nothing's ever been communicated by the owner as to what's going to happen. I know that there's really no key person additional benefits that's holding anybody in. Again, something that would have been good to have that that we don't have. And I also know that the owner is not financially protected or diversified. Because remember, the one, I guess it's the finance lady says, gee, you know, he's pulling out all the cash. You know, we're running on empty. So I'm back to, well, I can lay off some of that risk. We're all familiar with disability insurance, right? There's two types of disability insurance. There's the type everybody should have, which is disability income protection, and that's insurance that will replace your income if you become disabled. Right? Which, if the business owner had here, would be generating cash flow for his business, for his family, without having to continue to pull cash flow out of the business for his family. At the time, his business should probably be, you know, husbanding, or retaining cash flow because he's disabled, you know, what are the people in charge of the, you know, credit in the working capital line is going to think about that, right? So did not lay off some of the risk as simple as it was just to acquire disability <laughs> income protection and that's something that everybody needs even if you're an employee and don't own a business.
1: Question? Jim, I'm going to point out folks tend to think disability as just an injury, right? everyone uses, well, if I cut my arm off, yeah, I'm in real trouble. But the likelihood of that is so insignificant. What disables people is sickness, right? I have a stroke, I have cancer, you know, something that's more, more realistic to happen. So when we think disability insurance, it's comprehensive. It's sickness and injury and everything in between.
2: That's right. And, you know, the key people could also have that provided as an additional executive benefit to them, you know, that maybe the rank and file doesn't have. So this whole notion of disability is a valuable, and it's perceived as valuable by those that receive it. And the second type of of disability insurance would be a buyout insurance. In other Mm -hmm. words, a disability occurs and it creates a lump sum payment, typically after a 12-month waiting period. So if you have disability income insurance, that'll probably kick in in 90 days and it's replacing your salary disability buyout insurance is something different. That's where the owners of the business have decided, well, what are, my, are triggering events that will cause a sale? Well, if I die, you know, you know what, my, my wife is your partner, you buy me out. Well, if I get disabled, is, is that a triggering event? In some businesses it would be, others maybe not, depends what it is. But it's a discussion that needs to occur that often doesn't occur. And then you end up with that kind of situation where I've got a business owner, who's not financially diversified such that the business is able to husband its cash. Instead, it's just going right out the door to support his needs, and he owns the business. And uh, you can see the confusion in the senior staff, because they've never had any communication on the subject. So for all the business retreats or strategic planning that they do once a year, and they go off someplace nice and have a full day or two of meetings, somehow, in a topic like you know, if this happens, what do we do? Never makes it, So that's the kind of communication of the plan that's important that business owners uh, provide for so that people know. So if we look at our risk barometer again, same process. What's nice about the risk barometer too is you can track how close we are to the finish. Uh, So here's number three, and it's the same idea. Uh, Do I have a formal succession plan, right? Does it have a provision for disability? Have I involved key people in those conversations? Have I identified and written down who could run the company? Okay. Do I have buy, sell, or overhead expense insurance? Again, laying off some of the risk. And the process is the same. You know, As you work through it, you write down your score, and along the way, you, know, you find out how prepared you know. You Just a comment. Comment, uh, yes. Pros- prospective client
6: of mine was involved in a succession planning um, consultative. Mm-hmm. But they had no sales plan and that's my bailiwick so mm-hmm. uh, I mean they had a 2017 was a operated in the red and they expected the same for 2018. And <laughs> I said well so he was delaying the sales plan mm-hmm. and sales strategies. For the succession plan. And I just said to him, I said, you know, I'm not going to change your thinking on that standpoint, but the reality is, if you don't have sans, sales, you're not going to um, yeah, have well, anything there. to transfer on. Yeah. And um, it's kind of like opposite what scenario you're saying. This guy was so um, dedicated to this succession plan that he didn't see the the reality of.
2: Yeah, what he was passing on may not be worth receiving. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. almost verbatim what I said to him. Yeah, yeah. And it woke him up a little bit, but he didn't change. Hmm. And so the succession was going to family members yeah. or key people? Because there could be yeah, different directions. Yeah, come into the business. Right, exactly. So that's one of those where you're sitting there <coughs> thinking, you know, you may not be doing him any favors, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Because you're right, that's what drives revenues. But he was...
6: My take on it was he was the issue, not the not the salesperson's because mm-hmm. he wasn't you know he wasn't holding the salesperson accountable
2: yeah yeah and just focused on yeah. you know, executing on you know, his exit strategy right you know, I guess like
6: I mean a big thing all this is is vital, but you need to have the revenue mm-hmm. and the income to be able to um, an ongoing gainful business.
2: That's right. And that's also why, and I know you know this, most family health businesses don't make it to the next generation, right? And the third generation is probably low single digits. Now, not all businesses work that way, mm-hmm. but it has to do with you know, not executing on that succession piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is the classic, you know, it's not going to happen to me, and of course it does. Um, talked about all those things. Let me see if I
4: Entrepreneurial
2: can pass him. We did our risk profile and now we'll move along. So we've been talking about, again, sort of business ending issues that would not have had very complicated prior planning to manage that risk. And that's the consistent thing uh, that, w- that we see doesn't get done yet.
1: Hi, Dad. how was lunch?
7: Really nice.
5: It was good to see Jeff again. Um, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure, sure. What's up? Well, Jeff had some bad news.
4: Oh, you're kidding. Is someone sick in the family?
5: Oh, no, no, thank goodness. Everyone's fine. Well, then
4: what was the bad news? Well,
5: it's about their
1: business. The electronics company?
5: Yes. Jeff just told me his father sold the business in order to fund his retirement, which kind of leaves Jeff out in the cold. Oh,
3: that's too bad.
5: Yes, especially since it could have been avoided. He told me his father put all his money back into the business, and he never created any other sources of income for his retirement.
4: So he had to sell the business in order to retire.
5: Right. And Jeff, you know, always thought that he'd be running the company. He's never worked anywhere else.
4: Why didn't he get a loan and buy the business from his father?
5: He tried. He couldn't get a loan.
4: Honey, you know, this is all very interesting, but... Uh,
7: What does it have to do with me?
5: With us, Dad. Don't you see? (laughs) You're just like Jeff's father. You put all your money back into the business too. Now,
7: wait
4: a
5: minute. It's not like I'm trying to take over or anything. I I don't want you to think that. But? But I don't want to end up like Jeff. Donna! I'm just concerned for both of us, Dad. And I thought that we could come up with a plan to avoid any problems.
4: Hey, kiddo. Have I ever let you down?
5: (sighs) Of course not.
4: Then you know you can count on me to take
5: care of you, right? Yes, but I don't understand why we just can't start working on a plan. Because there's plenty of time for that.
4: But trust me, and speaking of time, uh, is there something else on your mind?
2: No. Okay. I think he's the best actor. Because I just don't know how he pulls off that like, Asperger I mean, thing so well. Is so
0: bad in these, but you know what, they prove a point. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> and they are kind of got that like 1980s feel to it yeah. as well, you know. Yeah. And
2: that's what I said at the outset, you know, we can talk and verbalize it, but when you sort of watch these actors play it, it sticks better, and it makes it an issue that, you know, I guess is a little bit more real, because that procrastination element goes on there, right? Uh, and this is something, you know, in the process that we take, you know, all business owners through is, well, all right, let's forget the complicated stuff. Let's just start with the easy. Let's work backwards. <coughs> when you're retired, and I find that most business owners don't really ever retire. You know, they maybe work less in the business. But when you get to whatever that point is, well, what do you want to live on? You need $200,000 a year? You need 600000 What's, you know, what's the number? And then we work backwards. Where's it going to come from? And that begins to get our arms around, well, what role does the value of the business play? And in this situation, we've got, it's kind of funny, we've got an art gallery with nobody in it. I don't want to scream at her, don't take the business. (laughs) Uh, But it's that avoidance behavior that goes on. It's like, hey, have I ever let you down? Well, of course not. But there's still time. To let me down. And he doesn't want to deal with it because he's a business owner. He doesn't feel he has enough data to make a decision. And that's often where we'll find business owners. They're great at making decisions once they feel they have the data. Well, he doesn't have the data because he doesn't know what he wants to live on, where it's going to come from, how am I going to get there? So here, what kind of retirement plans does the business have? so that you can maybe get a little diversification in your wealth. And true to form, most successful business owners are not in a position to just give the business to the next generation. You know, they need to sell it to them. Because that's going to finance some of that retirement income need. And how much value can the, you know, an earn out from the business support. Not well, just a matter of kind of crunching numbers and, you know, seeing how it goes. But you get the avoidance behavior because the owner is just not sure the answer has a gut feeling it's not a good answer, and so therefore they kind of shut down and don't deal with the issue. Right? And then you have this kind of contrived setting where the daughter comes from lunch, and you know, you know, and here's we need to talk, Dad. And by the way, it's not wrong for Dad to expect to get paid for the business by the next generation. So, you know, it's one of those things, though, where if you don't address it, you're going to end up having the circumstances force the issue on you. And so the analysis begins with well, where are we going to get replacement income from? You know, how much do we need? With, you know, the consistent theme here is we procrastinate, right? Um, what are the goals for the business? What's your timing to exit? Let's, you know, run some numbers. That's, we do a lot of that for clients. And then they have something to react to, right? And am I left or right or center? Where's my worst case scenario? What's that look like to me? And obviously, the best case is easy. Let's, let's look at you know, worst case scenarios and how that impacts you. And then what are the different avenues to begin to put a plan so that she can buy her out, right? Are there other key people? So you get into that discussion, right? Succession plan. And back to triggering events, some buy-sell agreements we had, you know, death could trigger a buyout, disability could trigger a buyout. Well, what about just voluntarily retiring from the business? Is that going to trigger a buyout? No right or wrong answer, but it's, a, it's, it's the question that needs to be asked you know, when there's more than one owner. And oftentimes that's difficult because if voluntary retirement triggers a buyout, there's often a race to retire, right? Because I want to get out before Ned does. <laughs>
6: Right? And then there's no Because Ned's going to have
2: to run the business and pay me. Right? And there's no one behind Ned. So how do you work through that?
6: And then there's no life insurance to fund the buy, Sally.
2: Right. Good point. There's no life insurance because guess what? I did not die, which by the way is generally the plan that we want to have happen. You know, we cover that, but hey, now the plan is you're not going to die. So what could we be doing early on that could assist? successor owners in doing an earnout, right? And there could be executive bonuses, you know, where the, you earn a bonus, but it goes into sort of a, you know, a sinking fund that'll be available, you know, on a tax, tax advantage basis to start to buy me out at some time in the future. Uh, I'm just kind of tying in you, tying in a key person who realizes, hey, there's a plan, I'm going to own this. So it's got the benefit of that, it's keeping all eyes focused on the future, but it doesn't happen if you don't deal with it. And you know, when you're saying there's plenty of time for that, you know, you're just kind of kicking the can down. Problem is you're kicking it down your alley. It's not leaving it. Yeah, man.
1: Jim, how about using life insurance as a replenishment technique in this sort of scenario? Is that, is that something businesses are doing?
2: Businesses will do it because, so for example, I've got a key person, and if I die, that key person is going to buy the business. Well, I could do that with term insurance, right? you know, it's the lowest premium, business owner dies, someone gets the proceeds, they're in a position to buy them map. Well, what if they're not likely to die? Well maybe what I'll do is instead is I'll use permanent insurance. So now the next generation owns permanent insurance on the owner and permanent insurance lets you pack a lot of money into the insurance contract, way more than just the term cost. And the way insurance policies work, they get taxed like Roth IRAs. When you put money into a permanent insurance contract, sometimes they call them whole life or universal life or variable life. There's different types. But the point is it grows tax-free inside the policy. And when you pull money out of the policy, your basis comes out first, which is how a Roth IRA works. So if you've got a life insurance contract that's doing double duty. The death benefit covers the death issue, the buyout, but because I'm able to accumulate cash in there that I have pretty tax-advantaged access to, that could be the down money for a purchase from a retirement standpoint that's going to assist the next generation in to be able to afford the exit strategy. And then the planning we get into is, okay, well, what's your replacement income need to be? Because then that helps you set, well, what's the minimum I need for this? In a business and then okay how am I going to get from it. So to Ned's point you, know, you could be using insurance contracts to help you think of it as a sinking fund to accumulate capital for that you know, a buyout in the future. Okay, We got our risk profile again a couple simple questions there right? I know, do I know when I want? How much income am I going to need? How important is the getting value from the business to my retirement? Right. And are there financing uh, options that key employees could be involved with? So these are again the questions that you want to take yourself through because it's, it's really telling you if you've addressed you know, this particular issue. Okay, we're rounding uh, second base, screaming into third.
5: What's wrong, honey? Can't sleep?
2: No,
3: no. I'm fine. I'm sorry I woke you.
5: Oh, Charlie, talk
3: to me. Well, it's probably nothing, but... But what? Well, you know I've been talking about retiring and selling the business in a couple of years.
5: Yes, and you said you contacted some companies and that the prospects look good.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Until this international group came into the picture. What group? They're huge, multinational, and they have plenty of money to invest in marketing and R&D.
5: What's that got to do with our retirement?
3: Honey, they're undercutting our prices. They're buying up raw materials, right and left. They're making it practically impossible for me to compete. Which makes it harder to sell the business. Those companies I've been talking to, some of them are backing off already. You think they're anxious to go head-to-head against a big outfit like that? They wouldn't do any better than me and they know it. Well,
5: what if you were to sell to this international group? Have you considered that?
3: Sure, but uh, they know I can't compete with them and I'd get half of what the company is worth. Charlie. Oh, it's my own fault. I I should have listened to Ray, planned ahead, made investments. can hear him now. Charlie that's what you pay me for. Oh please how could you know something like this would happen? Right you know nobody saw this coming and my business.
5: It's your life.
3: It's the one thing I know and I thought if anything would pay off for me. For us. Come on we don't know what's gonna happen.
2: That's the point. Okay, two comments on Charlie. One, when you do not want to wake your wife up, you sit on the edge of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, how about those pajamas? Yeah, He's rocking those. He's rocking those, yeah. yeah I think I owned a pair, but that was like 1968. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed a little bit. Uh, so this is not a surprise. You know, most most closely held businesses, you know, that is your retirement, right? And then we're back to that question, I've noted before which is well how diversified is your wealth from your business and 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 I get why business owners end up concentrating their wealth in their business because their business probably has done very well it's got a great you know return on equity probably has left the S&P 500 averages in the dust in terms of you know wealth accumulation but it's not liquid so what other strategies you know, should that business owner be thinking about in diversifying their wealth, right? Now his situation is, you know, I'm ready to exit the business, but I get the impression you know, he's kind of working in a vacuum. And one thing I know for sure, and the reason you see the anxiety is he doesn't know even his minimum number. Right? In terms of the value of the business. Because it's like, all right, I'm gonna exit the business, I want to live on X number or X thousand dollars a year. Where's that gonna come from? Well, let's look at everything but the business. Okay, well, to make that number that you're gonna live on, we can now back into the minimum value you need to clear on the business. So when he's saying, hey, they're, you know, they're offering me half, well, that's not telling me enough. You know, Does half mean that your retirement income needs are met and your cushion just got smaller? Or does half mean that your lifestyle in retirement is different? And then knowing the answer to that will affect your anxiety level as you work your way through that problem. So working in a vacuum and delaying uh, the analysis sets up this type of problem where I'm lost. I don't know what I need. He just doesn't have that there. I don't know if there's key people that maybe could take over the business. Maybe there's suppliers. Right? Or maybe he's just going to have to delay and wait for a better number to come along. But I do know that if he knew what his minimum was, he'd have a lot less anxiety in this thing. Because then it just becomes a, hey, it's not going to affect our lifestyle, honey. However, my stress level will be different if you know I sell the business. Okay? That has a lot of value in and of itself. But here's the situation where, you know, because he's working alone and doesn't know, you know he's dealing with you know, these, you know, these issues. So of course, you can anticipate that this day was coming, right? Uh, put things in place to implement it. And then the asset allocation model is just referring to how diversified you know, is your wealth. And as I said before, you know, most wealthy people didn't get wealthy by asset allocating you know, in a mutual fund.
6: <laughs>
2: right? That's how you keep wealth, and that's how you slowly build it. But usually, you make wealth by doing what? It's roulette all my money on black 17. Because that's what Steve Jobs did, right, and Gates. They put all their money into a single stock. So by taking the risk of concentrating, that's generally how you make money. How you protect it is knowing when to start to diversify along the way. And with business owners, they tend not to diversify. They're just putting it back in the business. It's got a good return on equity, I'm growing it, I'm hiring more employees, whatever it might be or have had a bad year and I'm subsidizing it. And then they end up, when we look at their balance sheet, way tilted in terms of not enough assets outside the business. And that's something that you want to monitor as you go. Simple as that. So back to my risk barometer, right? Do I have investments other than my business? Will my business assets account for less than 25% of my retirement planning? So again, when we look at that retirement planning, it's like, what are the sources of income? You know, what's guaranteed, something like pensions or Social Security, right, or immediate annuity type payments, What a market risk, and how much market risk, and on the
0: scale of that risk, you know, you know am I headed out to? Jim, before you continue with the mm-hmm. final one, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back into the podcast here with the six business killers. We uh, now have gone through five, and are going to do number six, and then have a little Q&A afterwards. So, uh, Jim? Back to, Back to you. Back to you, Jim. Back to me, <laughs> oops. This feels so official.
7: Thanks, Rob, appreciate your time. Okay, now that we have legal and accounting out of the way, and before Jake shows up, here are my thoughts. And I'm willing to bet Jake would agree with me. Over the past year, You have fully integrated Cypress Telemarketing into the company. Now we're moving ahead with establishing the new legal entity for the expanded organization. But because of the profit that ended up in the corporation, even after your deferred profit-sharing plan, we have a serious tax
0: liability that
7: we just can't avoid.
0: I know, and it's really working on my nerves. What's the point of growing this business if all I do is give more and more money to the government? It's a disincentive. I'm tired of sending my
7: hard-earned cash to Washington. Tony, look, the profitability is up. The company is enjoying a sustained growth cycle. It's healthy expansion. And you, my friend, are a year away from 63. Now, if you think today's tax bill is uncomfortable, just wait until you exit the business. And quite frankly, that tax bill will come at the wrong time in your life. Quit trying to cheer me up. <laughs> re exit plan from the business is no joke. But since you're upset with the current tax scenario, we need time to build a plan so you can successfully exit the business with your wealth intact. Look, we're not talking about walking out the door tomorrow. It's about leaving when you want to. But if you're gagging on this year's tax bill, believe me, you will choke to death if you had to sell the company today.
2: Okay. So the happiness continues, right? I don't know why you want to be business owners. <laughs> right? We killed you, we disabled you, and then once you got past that, you know, we cut the value of your business in half when you went to sell it, and now we got someone we didn't kill, we didn't disable him, his business is worth a boatload of money, and he's still not happy. So that's why I say I don't understand why business owners uh, and entrepreneurs become such, but I'm joking, of course, and what we're talking about here is taxes. So in the end, that's one of the, you know, Probably outside of your payroll, you know, taxation is your next largest cost of doing business. And that's often something that, you know, business owners just kind of delegate. And I do find that many business owners, you know, they have tax preparers more than they have tax advisors. In other words, you know, they're getting their taxes filed, but it's on time, here's what you owe, we're gonna make a distribution to cover it, an S corp, however that might be. But they aren't necessarily getting you know, tax minimization or tax management advice. Right? And increasingly when we work with clients, and again we're often with business owners working backwards from, all right, the business is sold or going to be sold, what's your income going to need be like, you know, what kind of gifting are you doing within the family, depending where the values are, you might have federal estate tax issues where we're trying to make gifts to move appreciation out of the family. There might also be some kids in the business and not in the business. How do we deal with those uh, equalization type issues, right? Who could be the potential sources of buyers for the business inside or kids or is it an outside sale? So you're working through all that, but riding behind you is, well, you know, Uncle Sam got his hand out too. How are we managing that, right? And when you get to the death scenario, I tell clients all the time, you have three partners when you die and you have your family. You have charity and you have Uncle Sam. So you tell me what percent you want to go where and we can talk about strategies as to how to make that happen. But here we've got a business owner, you know, he's not dying, you know, he's really successful, looks pretty affluent, so how diversifies his wealth, and how's he managing his taxes? In the old days, we used to talk about diversification in your investment portfolio, right? You'd have stocks and bonds, cash and then within the bonds you'd have big companies, small companies, international, domestic, and then in your stocks it's large-cap, mid-cap, small-cap, emerging, you know, US, Asia, whatever it might be. Well now another overlay has been pulled in and that is well what's the tax effect well, when I draw down on these investments? Right? In an ideal world you'd have all your money in a Roth IRA, right? You know, It's after-tax money that went in but it comes out tax-free. But most successful business owners, do they have Roth IRAs? Not usually because they make too much money to contribute to one. But a number of years ago, Congress changed the retirement plans so that you can have Roth 401Ks. So that's unrelated to what my income is and many times we'll see business owners, they're just putting in pre-tax money because they want the deduction. I know how that's going to get taxed when they get to retirement. It's all taxes, ordinary income at the highest level. So their bracket doesn't go down. And then you have funny spiking events. So if I'm retired and I want to buy a $50,000 automobile, well what do I have to pull out of my IRA to have 50, probably 75 or 80. So when I did that, what did I do to my taxable income? I just spiked it by 80,000 bucks. And when I did that, guess what I probably did to my, you know, Medicare Part B premium? That's tied to my income, right? So the simple act of buying a car spiked my income, which caused me to have to pay more Medicaid premiums for a couple of years, you know, until I, work, you know, I worked it back down. What if I had a tax-free bucket to pull from, right? So, you know, are there alternatives to Roths that work like that? And so those are the discussions that we get in with this kind of business owner. As we're coming to it, is those sources of income? How's it going to be taxed? Because everything we're looking at is on an after-tax basis, because that's what you live on in retirement. You know, the gross doesn't matter. All right. So the way this ends is we have our mistake number six. You can't be Uncle Sam. You have a handful of questions that you can take yourself through, and then once you've scored it all, excuse me. Bless you. Once you've scored it all, you got a total, and then I passed out uh, during the break. This single sheet of paper across the bottom has these little stickies you can pull off. And you, once you tally up your risk profile and get a number, you then peel off the sticker that matches that total number. And that's what I said at the beginning. You'll have a nice takeaway. You'll have a little sticker telling you just how poorly you're prepared for all these risks we talked about. And you can throw that in your important to do list pile that, you know, gets looked at about once every six months or so. Uh, and then you'll hopefully sort it again and keep it into, well, I'll look at it next year. But it's a way to kind of keep focused on I need to take action. And if anything, uh, that we want you to take away from this is if you, you know, want to engage in that dialogue. You know, Ned and I are the kind of people that would be a, uh, you know, a good place to start. And we don't replace your other advisors. You know, your lawyer, he or she's going to get involved, depending on the issues. Of course, your accountants get involved and your lenders get involved. Uh, and so, in a sense... You know, we tend to be the ones that kind of quarterback that. So with that, I thank you uh, for your questions and attention to uh, the content. It is uh, always helpful to have people paying attention as we go and are gonna
0: hang around and have some additional dialogue or any questions. Great, Jim, thanks for the presentation. And uh, while we're uh, thinking of some Q&A, if there is any, for those folks that are listening on the podcast and would like a copy of the risk barometer with the six business killers. um, I would highly encourage you to reach out to Jim or Ned. I will put their contact information in the episode notes. Um, I can probably tell you that uh, everybody listening, if you're a business owner, has probably said or thought one of these statements at one point. Um, I know what my business is worth. I'm too busy running the company. That'll never happen to me. There's plenty of time for that. My business is my retirement, and you can't beat Uncle Sam. So again, if you've either thought or heard or even a friend or another family member of any of those statements, um, I would encourage you again to reach out to Jim and Ned, get a copy of this, and take a look at your uh, risk assessment and see where you fall on that scale. And if it's, um, you know, if it's uh, any type of risk that requires some attention, I would, I would recommend uh, getting in touch with Jim and Ned. Uh, they've been most uh, informative today for the audience so thank you both again for for being here um, you're quite welcome be- before we go does uh, anybody have any comments or any questions for jim or ned
4: we have a business where my daughters and i are equal partners
0: okay
4: when i die are they charged inheritance tax for my portion of the business
2: mm-hmm. um and so the question is inheritance tax and you're in pennsylvania Okay, because you know, states are a little bit different. Uh, Pennsylvania will assess a four and a half percent tax on the value of the business that you own that you leave to a non-spouse. So children are not spouses, so whatever that value is, uh, is subject to the Pennsylvania Inheritance Tax at 3%. Now, if your business value makes up more than 35% of the value of your total estate, then Pennsylvania has an exception and they won't tax that business if it's a big enough part of your estate. And it's a rule to kind of prevent. In other words, if your total estate's worth 100,000 and your share of the business is 35,000, well then Pennsylvania would exempt that. That'd be an exempt asset because 35,000 is 35% of your total estate or more. So Pennsylvania has a tax break for family businesses uh, to prevent the liquidity problem that can occur. So you take everything in you know, your IRAs, your house, your other retirement assets, and non-retirement assets, total them all up, and then compare that to the value of the business. Okay. Good question. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Okay, great. Right. Jim, Ned, thanks again. Thank you, we appreciate you coming. Thank you. Yeah. And for, sure. um, for those folks listening to the podcast, thank you for downloading this episode. And until next time, all our best. Thank you for listening to the Victory Business Series podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to attend a future business series presentation, please drop us a note at rsvp at victorybank.com. We will add you to our mailing list and notify you of upcoming seminars. If you would like to be considered to present at the Victory Bank Business Series, please email rsvp at victorybank.com. Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to be notified of new episodes. The Victory Bank. Fulfill your dreams. Member FDIC.